You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Listen live on 98.7 or 98.3 FM or stream live from rwpfm.com.au. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Now, we're going to get stuck into our science and technology news, and we have yeah, a bit of a, a smorgasbord coming your way today. One thing that caught my eye is just the size of companies like Alibaba and Tencent now. Like, they are both, I think, worth about, and their market cap's about $500 billion apiece, mm-hmm. so they're kind of the Chinese equivalent of, of Facebook and yeah. Apple and mm-hmm. Google, if you like. They are in very tight contest with each other, particularly in the Chinese market. There is some expansion from those two businesses into Southeast Asia and India. They've always been more focused on the Chinese domestic market, and they are getting into every area that you can imagine to dominate the 770 million internet users, whether it's in communication, shopping, transport, entertainment, and even in recent times, digital wallet payment. Mm. China skipped the credit card the, the credit card phase, card phase yeah. and they've gone straight into making payments so often from a smartphone yep. tapping you know using a thing like Apple Pay but in the case of Alibaba it's 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 uh, it's it's their own proprietary Alipay system. Alipay and, then, Alipay, and right? then there's um, WePay as well which okay. is um, part of which, WeChat which yeah. is Tencent which I think is the, yeah. the parent company yeah, so. So, and that's the way that everybody pays over there now so right. if you want to if you want to negotiate in the markets if you want to go to the convenience store or buy petrol or anything anything you want to do over there uh, they're all using these sort of systems particularly the WeChat WePay system. System. The benefit of that is that, well, for the for the companies involved, is that it helps them gather data. You know, it's about it's a bit like Facebook mm-hmm. picking up information about users. If you do things through your phone and everything's done via a digital wallet, that's another way that uh, big companies can can profile you and work the out exactly. The eye what, of China can monitor and see what's going on. That's right. On, yeah. And we had a, and there is a podcast about the uh, social credit system they have over there. It's a bit like uh, demerit points for your driver's license, except it applies to your life. If you do things that are deemed bad by the powers that be. You get uh, restrictions and, and, and that can and yeah. that can be restrictions and uh, travel bans and all the rest of it. It's, a, it's an interesting dystopian future that's unfolding in China and, and elsewhere. Uh, it has to be said it's not just in China, but some of the numbers they're talking about for these companies, and Financial, which is involved in these uh, digital wallet payments, that's a Chinese company. They are planning to go public with a stock offering in a blockbuster that could give the company a market value larger than Goldman Sachs. There's suggestions that really it's a uh, it's a more competitive IT space in China than in US, for example, where these companies really are trying to get into everything. They're just expanding. They're buying up startups. Mm-hmm. They're involved in everything and anything, really. They don't have the same sort of antitrust regulations that apply in the US. There's nothing to stop them really just you know just grabbing all the sort of space around them, all the peripheral businesses and stuff. Well, why not? We you know we've got the money. We want we'll to expand. Up. Yeah. We'll just we'll keep buying it up. Uh, Morgan Stanley predicted that by 2027, so only in 10 years' time, the total market in China in which Alibaba, which is kind of the equivalent of Amazon, will be worth $19 trillion. Uh, That's more than Amazon's potential market worldwide. Mm, So they really are monstrous companies. One of the things that's that's kind of guaranteed the success of Tencent and Alibaba is they've got very good relations with the Beijing government. Mm -hmm. By concentrating the business and economic power in very few massive companies, it's actually easier for the one party state to control things and just a little word on that as well that um, alibaba does tend to the products from that through the manufacturers in china does tend to feed into amazon anyway so that's why they will continue to get big
big because people, when buying through Amazon, may be buying a product which is, say, drop shipped, which comes via the Alibaba system. So there's a sort of a way it's all connected in there as well. Moving on with the news, if you have been following the Mars Curiosity rover, it's a, a large one-ton nuclear-powered rover roving around at Gale Crater on Mars. Been there for a while now, several years. I think since I think it's past the five-year mark, it had a problem, a mechanical problem, which was stopping it able to uh, to actually drill down and take samples, rock samples and dust samples, and then place them into onboard laboratories for analysis and identification of um, constituents. This has actually meant that they haven't been able to use and do any of the onboard tests using those labs since October 2016 and the system was actually taken offline in December 2016 hasn't been active since then they have found a workaround mm-hmm. they're now at the moment doing the first analyses since late 2016 Great news. using those onboard labs which is really exciting one thing that really amazed me was that to get the samples into the labs, because simulating it on Earth is really hard because we've got uh, Earth gravity. In Mars, there's not nearly the gravity and there's a there's one hundredth of the surface pressure that mm-hmm. there is on Earth. So when you comes to sprinkling a few grains of dust into an onboard lab on Mars, things behave very differently. It just so kind of bounces around. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. do what it's what you'd expect it to do. It's certainly not what it does on Earth. So quite an achievement there to get those labs up and running on the Mars Science Laboratory otherwise known as Curiosity Rover. Another story relating to Mars, we've seen it in science fiction, but if you were to cover a long distance, so say in the case of Mars, a six-month trip, it would be great if you could sleep for that whole time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about this that interested me is that even if there was a technology which allowed you to, say, sleep for six months, you still age six months. So they can maybe put your body into a kind of um, homeostasis Mm -hmm. where you kind of shut down and and the benefit of that is you're not consuming food or water. Mm -hmm. You've got a catheter, a few catheters probably. So kind Um, of like a coma-like state, is that? Not quite a coma-like state. As far as science fiction was concerned, you know, you went to sleep and you... And, and well, Interstellar, for example, exactly. is the, the big one about that. I mean, um, they were in different uh, different worlds, universe, essentially. Yeah, parallel universes and through wormholes. And they were sleeping through that. Yes. Yeah. And the benefit is if you're asleep, you're not consuming the amount of oxygen, the amount of food that you would mm-hmm. need to if you were awake. So it means you can carry less stuff with you. NASA is actually working with a company called Spaceworks Enterprises to develop a stasis chamber or a sleep chamber that could keep astronauts asleep for two weeks at a time and possibly longer. It actually involves a shared sleeping chamber rather than those sort of individual coffins mm-hmm. from science fiction. The chamber works by lowering a group of astronauts' body temperature to 32 degrees Celsius and it actually sedates them to suppress the body's reactions to the cold. The low temperatures put their bodies into a mild hypothermia, slowing down that metabolic rate and preventing injury from lack of oxygen. So early stages for that, yeah. it might be a way to get around the boredom of a six-month cruise to Mars. In California, embracing EV and electric vehicle technology, left, right and centre over there, a bunch of utilities, the California Public Utility Commission and three utilities, Pacific Gas and Electric, San Diego Gas and Electric and Southern California Edison have all teamed up to spend nearly $768 million US dollars in EV infrastructure spending. That includes charging stations and the like. And some of the numbers are really amazing. Let's see, at the moment, the use of EVs is still really relatively small against you know, petrol or diesel-powered cars, fossil fuel burning cars. This is expected to change. There are currently 3 million EV chargers 
in homes and 430,000 publicly available EV chargers worldwide. So that's expected to accelerate as more and more people switch to using EV cars. At the moment, the, the, ca- the country in the world that uses most is Norway, where 39% of its cars are electric. That's up from 29% two years ago. China's EV market is now at 2.2% from 1.5% the year before. And the US finally cracked the 1% mark Currently, 1.2% of cars on US roads are electric. Mm, And just finally, before I hand over to John, good news for women who are having treatment for breast cancer. Chemotherapy is often used as a treatment, and this has uh, really terrible side effects, nausea, vomiting. It's just a really pretty nasty way to deal with that illness. There's been a very big survey, I think the biggest of its kind. It's looked at whether it was actually beneficial to use chemotherapy for early stage versions of the illness they've found that actually there there isn't a big benefit there Mm -hmm. so good news is a lot of people who would have had chemotherapy to treat breast cancer don't need to now which is which is a bit of a breakthrough again more on that story on uh, our website beyond infinity under show notes john what have you got for us yeah, we uh, do talk a bit about scams and uh, how to attempt to avoid get, uh, getting caught up in them. And uh, another has been recently exposed, uh, which is, fortunately, these scammers are getting better and better with the way that they can get your data or, um, you know, you know, take your money. Right. And uh, one example is uh, recently where a scammer has basically created an Australian phone number, a 1-800 number. They've set up a technical support website. And when you have, or the the victim, the mark, has been looking for ways to install a product or get some technical support for their computer, they've found this this contact number and made the call. The person on the other end of the line has basically said, yes, we can help, and uh, then asked the victim to install some software on their computer, which allows remote access. And that remote access is then used to essentially harm the computer and do damage, do more damage to it. also in order to actually record using the webcam and what this is doing is the victims are then recording messages which are put up on the screen to make it sound like they're giving a testimonial for these scammers those are then uploaded to youtube and then used to sort of continue to legitimize or attempt to legitimize this scammer's website Mm. look it's another call to be uh, really careful about what you do we've got a heap of um, you know podcasts on our website walking through some of the steps you can to avoid these scams you know how to try and identify what's legitimate or not one of the lessons out of this is don't give away any remote access just readily and it should be sort of the last thing you're doing even with someone that you trust, you don't know if that connection is going to remain active after you get off the line. In those situations, it's probably worth actually going and seeing someone, taking your computer to someone if you can, rather than having a remote access you know, coming in. Okay. Because once you give that away, then um, you know, some serious problems. Mm. We reported earlier this year, there was the you know, Google I.O. 2018 uh, conference and some new features were announced, and particularly Google Lens. This is sort of an add-on to Google Lens, which basically allows you to holding up your camera and through the live stream on your device, you can interact with the display. You can either copy text or you can do a search, like a Google search. Now this has been rolling out now and should be live on people's devices. Right. So if you have an Android device with Google Assistant, you should be able to go in and activate that 
open up Google Assistant. On the bottom right-hand side, there's a little Google Lens button. Tap on that. It might ask you to confirm that you'd like to use it, and then it will open up your camera, and you can start utilising this and sort of interacting with an augmented reality with the world. You know, maybe you need to translate some text or copy some text from, um, you know, an image. Uh, you need to search for something. You might be in a store and looking for some pricing, for example. Mm. You can start to use that there. What about iOS users? Yeah, if you've got Google Assistant on your iPhone, then looking like it will be incorporated there. It hasn't necessarily rolled out completely yet, yeah. uh, but it is being talked about as uh, you know rolling out soon. So, for example, it is available on devices such as the Pixel, the LG series, uh, Motorola's Xiaomi, Sony Mo- Mobile, Nokia, Transmission TCR, and there's a number of uh, other phones. Uh, so, it will be available for iPhone users who are on or have the Assistant installed on their device. Yep. Or if you're using Google Photos, I believe. That's right. They'll, they'll yeah, get yeah. new software as well. Exactly, yeah. Great. Just a final story for me. Good news story is that uh, for many years, there's been manufacturers which have been developing keyboards which are for those that cannot see, the blind, and that is Braille displays. So this is where it sort of will pop up little the Braille markings on a keyboard, allowing people to actually be able to use the internet or you know read things online just uh, through the Braille system. Unfortunately, though, there's not been any consistency across these different devices, and that's meant to things that are not compatible. Hardware itself may not plug in properly to a device or yep. and, and may not work across systems. Mm. However, the, the good news story is that the companies like uh, Apple and Microsoft and Google have announced a new USB human interface device, which is being standardized across Braille displays. That's so this idea, is a huge it? move forward to allow those, as I said, blind or vision impaired to be making it much easier to use Braille dis- displays uh, across a variety of different operating systems. Really good news. Okay, yep. thanks for that, John. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.